Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome on the founder and executive director of Power for the Future, Daniel Turner. Daniel, welcome back to In the Oil Patch radio show. That was great to be on with you. Thanks for having me back. Well, I want to give our listeners a little bit more information on you mm-hmm. and Power for the Future before we get into the work that you guys are doing to help kind of watch and maintain what's happening in D.C. when we talk about energy and energy policies. First, you guys, you started over 20 years ago working in communication and public affairs for several nonprofits and campaigns. So you have some nonprofit experience as well as, of course, some uh, election experience. But really, you guys, you created a 501c4, mm-hmm. which is um, not a three. So I'm not really sure what is a four. I'd like you to tell us, but what is the mission of Power for the Future and how yeah. long has Power for the Future been around? We are in our fifth year and I started it because I've, I've been working in the DC area doing issue advocacy for 20 some odd years. I always loved energy. And at the end of the Obama administration, um, and quite frankly, as I was putting this idea together in my head and trying to raise the money, I fully anticipated a Hillary Clinton presidency. And and what I was seeing in in, 2015, 2016 was this enormous disconnect between the men and women who make our energy policy. And they're in DC and they're influenced by New York and San Francisco billionaires, environmental groups, et cetera. An enormous disconnect between the people who make the policy and the people who are affected by it. Think of the simplest term on day one when Joe Biden said, we're gonna stop the Keystone pipeline. You know, 11,000 people were told to go home. And I I went to the terminus in Houston and brought a camera crew with me and put a lot of those guys on, on Fox News the next morning to see the faces and say, these are the folks who are affected by it, right? I mean, it's real people and mostly in rural America. And I live now in rural America. I've had a sheep farm in Shenandoah, Virginia for a while. Um, so I love rural America and, and we're forgotten. Right, R- uh, farmers, ranchers, of course, um, but in this case, energy workers and the the men and women who work in oil, gas, and coal, and fracking, and pipelines, and and we're energy writ large, right? I include coal in our mission. We live in rural communities, and and yet when folks who make energy policy decide we're going to ban this or we're going to stop that or we're not going to approve a pipeline here. Rural Americans are the ones who pay the price. And so I started Power of the Future to hopefully bridge that divide and give these millions of people, 18 million, give them a voice in, in D.C. Well, this isn't your first time on our show. So we've had the discussion about how our show is very much the same. It's for the average Joe to help them connect the dots on mm-hmm. why are energy policies, if they don't seem like they're making sense to you, the listener, well, they're not because they're not making sense to anybody. And and it begins with with understanding that you mentioned rural, but I happen to believe that no matter what energy policies are coming out coming out of our elected officials in DC, they really do impact all of us. Rather it's supply chain issue, the grocery store, the gas pump, utilities, the price we pay for our, our utilities. And then of course there's rural America. So I want to try to structure our show today around that to give some idea to the listener that it's not making sense to you because it's not making sense to anyone. No, 
frankly. No, it doesn't. And and that's kind of the problem with, with the folks who, who are so disconnected from rural America. I don't pick this person because it's an easy punching bag. I'm not trying to make her a, a more of a target than she makes herself. But case in point, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, you got to um, love her. Bless her. She knows nothing about what she's talking she about. She doesn't. And, and quite frankly, she's emblematic of the 30-year-old power broker. And she's a power broker, but who grew up in an urban environment, who lives in the city, who only knows the city. Um, you know, in, in the simplest terms, I, I tell people if, if she had coal mines in Queens, she would think differently about coal mines because she'd know them and she'd know coal workers and she'd know oil and gas workers, but she doesn't. And so she has this idea in her mind of what she thinks energy is and how it needs to be regulated. And, and that extends to other issues. If you recall early on in her career, she was at a community farm in Queens and she talked about how no one was growing yucca and it was it was important for the Latino community. And she was wondering if there was some sort of white supremacy that this 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 urban farming wasn't growing yucca. And then finally, someone said, well, you know what, it doesn't really grow in New York City. Right. And, and she doesn't know that because she's never been a farmer. You know, I mean, farmers would laugh at that and say there's a reason why they didn't plant cotton in Maine. Right. Because it doesn't grow. There's a reason why there are no palm trees in Minnesota. But if you're Congressman Ocasio-Cortez and you are so convinced, you know, things, then you make policy, ag policy, energy policy based on pure ignorance. And that's the threat that these power brokers present to the energy industry. They know nothing, yet they have all the power. Exactly. And they're changing laws as they affect us. So let's begin with, mm -hmm. so since Biden has been in office, um, yeah, th there's been definitely a lot of changes. And I'm, and I'm going to say it in a way that's for radio, for the same for sake of time on radio, you know, the Biden, when we had Obama in office, um, there was belief and a lot of a discussion that they were uh, going to over-regulate the oil and gas, and there was a lot of that. But under his administration, there was one thing that happened, and that was the lifting of the export ban, a 40-year ban that had been in place. Yeah. And once that was done, uh, and it wasn't because I think the the, the uh, Obama administration wanted to do that, they they had concessions in there of what they had to get passed, which was the Obama health care was the most important priority for them. So they had to give, mm -hmm. and what they gave was the United States the ability to uh, drill export uh, here uh, in the United States. That being said, every since then Trump came in, he had policies that favored oil and gas. So we saw a lot of prosperity. Uh, I think uh, our listeners, American people remember, you know, low prices at the pump, low prices uh, at this uh, when you pay your utilities and, of course, the grass, the grocery store. Mm -hmm. However, now that Biden is back in office, so we're talking about R&Ds. OK, um, now we have another uh, Democrat in office, President Biden, and he has come in and has regulated a lot of the oil and gas industry. Um, we'd look yeah. at, you know, a lot of it is troubling when we talk about federal lands, things that are happening in Alaska, uh, not being able to uh, drill out there on federal lands. And all of this has made for a perfect climate of underinvesting in oil and gas. And as a result of it, we are seeing the uh, mergers and acquisitions of large oil coming in and buying smaller. Why? Because it's so hard to make a buck in oil and gas, and they're not investing the way they should be in our energy policies here in the United States on projects. Mm -hmm. So I want to get your opinion because I received just this morning 
a a press release, and it's from uh, Public Citizens. It's been around 50 years, and they're very concerned because they say in monster oil mergers, senators are, uh, are right to worry over the harm to consumers. And it goes on to say, Daniel, that it's 23 senators sent a letter to the chair of the Federal Trade Commission, Lena Khan, about their deep concerns over the expression of two oil mergers that upended market projections for consumers. And that was, of course, the ExxonMobil acquisition of Pioneer Natural Resources and Chevron's takeover of the Hess Corporations, which they claim are the two largest deals in the 21st century. What is their big, big concern, Daniel? I'll tell you. It's they believe that we're going to return be, through these two deals that ExxonMobil and Chevron will revive the oil standard from the grave. Mm-hmm. It's quite dramatic, if you ask me. But <laughs> a lot of this has been made to happen because of the policies that the Democrat Party are putting in place when they're overregulating the oil and gas industry and not allowing them to continue to drill like we need to be. So what's your what's your thoughts on uh you know again the show's going to be based on how nothing's making sense. So no. if you if you overregulate the industry you can see that we're going to have a problem in another area. That's just how this works folks. So yeah. so talk to me about what is your uh group Power for the Future what is your opinion on what's happening with these big mergers and acquisitions? You you raise such an important issue, and it's and it's the big philosophical divide between the left and the right, and it is the role of government. Um, and and the left genuinely believes that government is a force for good, um, and and they're statists. Um, they don't believe in free markets. They don't believe in, in that businesses could ever do good. They believe that government makes the right decisions. And when you get a lot of government, this is absolutely the consequence. And here's an analogous situation after the 2008 uh, um, 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 economic collapse. We saw an enormous number of, legi- of, of bills come out of the House and the Senate um, signed by then President Obama 2009 to regulate the banking industry, right? Big banks, big banks caused all this. We have to stop big banks. The result now, 15 years later, is that we have fewer banks and they are much, much bigger than they were before. And that's the result of government. Government puts in all these rules, all these regulations and the independents, whom I love, especially in the oil and gas industry, but even banking. I long time ago pulled all of my banking out of big banks and went to my small local Virginia banks, community banks, because I hate the big banks. I hate their philanthropy. I hate their climate agenda. I don't want to give any of my money to them. So I go to a small local bank. Um, but we have fewer banks because we have more government. And it's exactly the same with with oil and gas or any industry. The more government regulates it, the more the independents have to close. And, 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 and no offense to the big guys, but they love this. Right. They are uh-huh. thrilled. And that's why a lot of them sign on board to so much of the climate agenda. Methane rules. Sure, we'll embrace it, because if it's a couple of pennies on the dollar or, or dollars on the barrel in compliance costs and legal fees, big deal. They'll absorb it. They'll absorb it because they know it will put the smaller independent producers out of business and then they can scoop them up. And that's what you're seeing with these huge purchases. And, and these are enormous purchases, no doubt. But there are lots of smaller purchases happening every day where, you know, D.C. would say, ah, that person's a fat cat. Bill Johnson Gas Company, he's worth $15 million. 
sounds like a lot of money. It's more money than I have. Don't get me wrong. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not. And Bill Johnson can't afford the new regulation. So he sells. And his little family business is now owned by someone five states away. And it's not a community oil and gas company in 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 uh, um, New Mexico. You know, uh, yep. in, it, it's now owned by some company which has a headquarters in Chicago. And you've lost that community identity because of government. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry. Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust and we're back you're listening to on the wall patch radio show my guest today is daniel turner who is the president founder and executive director for powering the future um daniel before the break we were kind of talking about how this was the perfect climate created by our wonderful elected officials in dc <laughs> that have kind of created these large mergers uh and acquisitions we're seeing from uh exxon Mobil purchasing natural Pioneer Natural Resources and Chevron uh, acquiring Hess. This was not something that had the elected officials not started pushing so many regulations, policies, and making it harder, like not upholding federal leases that are mm. required by law and over-regulating the energy industry. We probably may not be seeing this. I'm not saying we would but or wouldn't, but I'm saying it sure was creating the the great or the proper climate, climate yeah. if you will, for this. And a lot of it has been built around them pushing policies for green. And in today's show, the rest of the show, I want to just hone in on that with what your organization is doing in filing lawsuits and continuing to watch the administration and what they're doing with their anti-oil and gas policies, especially through green. They're wrapping themselves around a green flag and pushing through hostile oil and gas policies. But I want to give it back to you because you were talking about how this is all playing out and even yeah. right now in the political arena as we're moving towards the uh, time window where we're going to have a new president and this is when things are probably going to get nasty again. And there's no <laughs> running from it or hiding from it because it's on the TV, it's on the radio, it's everywhere uh it, politics of a new elected a new president so we'll yeah. we get ready it's going to get nasty but go ahead finish t uh discussing what you were saying about this climate that they've created for us from dc they have yeah and and, and i appreciate you letting me emphasize this point um you know i try to emphasize all the time when i am before congress or doing town halls that this is an industry that prefers to make its profits on volume than on price point because they know the price point is not necessarily sustainable. We've had 85 roughly dollar a barrel oil for, for months and months and months now, and, and it is a long haul. Um, but the industry knows it's not going to last forever. So they normally like to diversify in the sense that they have multiple assets and multiple fields and multiple states and they're planning for the future but if you know the biden administration is not going to let you get permitting if you know they're going to stop you at every cent at every stop 
at every turn, you're sitting on piles of cash. And so in America, piles of cash, well, one, they haul you before Congress and call you greedy and yell at you and say you're profiteering. Um, two, you you do something. You acquire other companies. You, you do something with your cash because you can't invest in the industry itself. But what happens in the rest of the world, right? In America, this is it's not ideal here, of course. But in the rest of the world, when they're sitting on piles of cash, they go to war. And I've been telling people over and over again, the reason why Ukraine invaded and not to get into national security, I know that's not where you're going to take the conversation, but just to highlight this, the reason why Ukraine invaded, Russia invaded Ukraine and, and, and uh, Iran-funded Hamas and Hezbollah is attacking Israel is because they're sitting on piles of cash. So if you're an American corporation and you have cash, you, you acquire other businesses. If you're Islamic jihadists and you're sitting on piles of cash, you go to war. And that's just the reality of, of mankind. So, so absolutely, all of this was preventable, was very much foreseeable, but totally preventable. And proof of that is you mentioned elections. We go to the last administration and we say, you all told us, you know, this is a puppet of big oil. Donald Trump's an oil shill. He just loves his oil buddies. You never heard about profiteering, price gouging, corporate greed. You never saw countries invading each other with record profits. You never saw these huge acquisitions that has uh, uh, markets concerned about monopolies. Funny how when the oil shill was president, things were a lot more stable, right? <laughs> and that's because the industry likes to make its profits on volume and not on price point. So again, all caused by government and, and well, government is in the, in the way. Well, and government is in the way. So let's start talking about how we're going to prove this out through what work you guys are working out, uh, working on for power of the future. Uh, a recent uh, press release that you guys sent out, it's on your website, Biden's green allies line up for bailout. Bailouts. Now, we all remember the IRA, right? The Infrastructure Reduction Plan that had tons of money in there for green projects. Yeah. And we've, we're starting to see awards of hydrogen hubs being so. So we're seeing there is some work happening pertaining to new projects coming on in the way of green. But tell me about What's happening, uh, according to a recent exclusive report, President Biden's climate czar held a secret meeting with the electric vehicle manufacturers that received millions of dollars in taxpayer initiatives. Can yeah. you tell us about that? Yes. So the reason why uh, you mentioned the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, the reason why it was passed so quickly so haphazardly is because it was a slush fund. It is the largest unappropriated slush fund probably in American history. Um, and and but it was not labeled the inflation reduction. Exactly. Once it was it passed, they told us it anything was, in inflation. It increases <laughs> exactly. it. <laughs> Once it was passed, they told us it was actually a climate agenda. They told us in the debate it was about the inflation, but that was all a lie. Going back to my earlier comment about the banking crash in 2008, say what you want about the bailouts, good or bad, but they were appropriated. Congress said, like, we are going to write a check to this bank for this purpose. Here in the Inflation Reduction Act, we just gave hundreds of billions. The Wall Street Journal estimates close to a trillion 
uh, unappropriated, and it's all controlled by one guy, and his name is John Podesta, a very unsavory... Um, oh, we um, all remember John Podesta yeah. from the whole Hillary Clinton election scandal. Yep. And he's now in charge of all of this. He's in charge of it. And he's been having some private conversations with green energy companies. And the reason why is because green energy is and always will be an enormous failure, right? It, it is not green. It's not energy. It is grift. And it needs money to survive. But they can't allow it to survive. This is Biden's whole legacy. So if Rivian, who's one of the companies that met with John Podesta, Hang on, Daniel. I'm going to take a quick break because this is going to be a little bit longer yeah. than what I can go for. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Daniel Turner, who is the founder and executive director of Power of the Future. Daniel, a recent exclusive report we were talking about before the break that President Biden's climate czar held a secret meeting with the electric vehicle manufacturers that received millions of dollars in taxpayers' initiative, who we know the climate czar is John Podesta. Good old John Podesta. Continue on of what you uncovered. Yeah, so Rivian, the the futuristic uh, uh, truck manufacturer, electric truck, it looks something out of Star Wars. I make fun of it because it doesn't have a, a, a hitch. And so what's the purpose of having a pickup truck if you can't tow anything? Haul anything. <laughs> you know, exactly. You can't haul. So, so it's the only pickup truck probably in the world that, that you can't you can't tow uh, anything. You can't attach a hitch to Um but Rivian has had secret conversations with John Podesta, and the question is why? And obviously, Rivian's never turned a profit, by the way. Um, it's totally reliant on, on government dollars. Why? They probably need more money. And since Joe Biden's entire uh, legacy is at stake, they cannot afford, everyone remembers the Solyndra name, they cannot afford a number of Solyndra failures. They can't afford green companies to go bankrupt. So if you meet quietly with John Podesta and he controls this unappropriated slush fund of hundreds of billions of dollars, he can write checks left and right. And and, and we will just call it investment. We'll call it uh, investing in, in green technology, investing in the climate crisis, whatever you wanna call it. But all it is going to be is backstopping inevitable failure, lying to the American people, trying to pretend that it actually is succeeding when it absolutely is not. Um, and that's the risk of what we're facing with, with this unappropriated slush fund that snuck through before the Republicans won the House last year. Now, Daniel, there are some, there is a paper trail. If you look at the large uh, company, the, man, the manufacturers, Ford and other uh, builders, they they do show the paper trail that they are losing to the tune of almost $30,000 per vehicle on per a vehicle. green vehicle. Amazing. And yet, and yet they're not, and, and I don't know a company on the planet that could stay in operation if you're losing money. No um, corporation is in the business of losing money. No. except if you're getting government subsidies. So Ford, while they're losing $30,000 a vehicle, almost 30000 a vehicle 
on an EV vehicle, electric vehicle, um, they still are continuing to manufacture them and even continue to increase the line. And why is that? Well, we talk about that IRA again, right? And how this money is in there to continue to help them to develop it out. And we're, and we're hearing though, that it comes back to, well, you know, we have to help um, grow this if we're going to take climate change and address it. So tell me a little bit about though, let's go further into, okay, so Podesta, but this mm. slush fund that they have, there's no checks and balances. There's um, so really what companies are just lining up to get to the white house to go see John Podesta and ask for money that need a bailout. hundred uh, percent. And and that's the danger of this enormous uh, slush fund and why, why anyone really who voted for it should not be in office because this is why we're $33 trillion in debt. Um, um, and growing and, and, every day. Yeah, and growing every day, exactly, because no one knows where this money is is, is being spent or how you account for it. Um, just a, a couple hours ago, early this morning, I woke up to news that, that Orsted, the huge uh, Scandinavian wind manufacturing company, completely subsidized by the European Union, by the way, um, they have stopped their plans to build offshore wind farms in New Jersey. They've determined it's yeah. not going to work. They canceled the project. Five and a half billion dollars later, taxpayer dollars, they canceled the project. 75 dead whales also as they were doing their sonar. Right. So Orsted probably made five and a half billion dollars, right? They all got paid. They probably all bought lake houses somewhere in, in, in the fjords of Scandinavia. Um, but the taxpayers of New Jersey, what do they have as a result? They have the governor who's saying like, hey, you know what? We are doing our bet. We're doing our part to fight the climate agenda, but five and a half billion dollars goes a very long way. And when you look at the size of the IRA, pennies, right? We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. So what's five and a half billion dollars to go to make someone rich? How many consultants do you think were hired to, to, to go through this process? How many community organizers were bought off? How many uh, climate justice groups all throughout New Jersey that they were like, look, we'll give you $50,000 if you just shut the heck up. Well, well, hold on. And and as a business owner myself, there could have been, because I want to lay this back at New Jersey's feet and their governor, Phil Murphy. If you're an elected official and you get elected, you have no business sense or uh, acumen, which it's probably showing, you don't go into an agreement and agree to do this as you're moving closer to, and, and, and here's the quote, they want to uh, uh, New Jersey is a national leader in offshore wind is working to bring us one step closer to achieving 100% clean energy by 2050. And in this agreement with this company, you don't write in there that should you abandon it, should you have a problem in fulfilling your commitment, you're not going to pay the citizens of New Jersey back so much money. And what about for killing the whales? There's there's none yeah. of this in there. You just sign an agreement. Sure, come on in. Then you, you, you create all this mess. You make us look like... Um, incompetent fools and then you just say well by the way we're going to shut down the shop daniel yeah. let's take a break and let's move on to another <laughs> green energy deal that doesn't make any sense we're going to switch gears a little bit and look at biden and iran sanctions and how it's ramping up american energy to help our allies you're listening to an old patch radio show we'll be right back And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Daniel Turner, who is the founder and executive director for Power the Future. 
Danielle, before the break, we were discussing, uh, you told us about breaking news, if you will, that a large windshore uh, company has pulled out of New Jersey, uh, a wind failure. Now, we did a report here on In the Oil Patch not too long ago with another company talking about, I believe it was uh, the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and they were sounding the bells and alarms about how this company was killing the whales through their sonar. Mm -hmm. So while that while the whales will be saved, um, this company just basically made an announcement. They signed a deal with New Jersey, um, and then they decided it's not profitable after collecting billions of dollars. And then they just decided to shut down. And and I want you to tell us a little bit about. I said earlier before the break, what business can operate in that way? You're under some yeah. kind of a contract. There's got to be some kind of of uh, uh, verbiage in there that says you will uh, uphold this or else these bad things will happen as a result. What is the outcome? They just get to close down shop and go go home? I mean, yeah. And, and that's the joys of the green industry is that all of their losses seem to be uh, public, right? Whenever the green industry loses anything, it's the public writ large that has to pick up the pieces. Um, but but their profits, if they ever turn a profit, um, are, are are privatized, right? Ask ask the, the the shareholders of Tesla. Ask Elon Musk, who's probably the richest man in the world. Depends upon the day, but but his his wins in Tesla are private. His profits are private, but his losses. Well, that's what the government is there for. And, and that's exactly what what Orsted is doing. Orsted has a huge proposal, even in the EU. The German newspaper Der Spiegel wrote about this on uh, earlier this week or at the end of last week. Same deal, going to the EU saying we need uh, bailout, and 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 they, and they always will. I did a very long rant earlier on Twitter, speaking of Elon Musk, um, about how wind and solar will always need a bailout, and and it's for very very simple reasons, and it's not technology, it's not um, my love of fossil fuels, right? They will always need a bailout because the product, their, their rawest of raw material is never able to be quantifiable, forecastable, right? So if you're a utility and you, your job is to produce electricity, I know how much coal there is. I know how much natural gas is coming. I know roughly where the prices are going. I can build my, my electricity utility based on quantifiable data. I have no idea if the wind is gonna to blow tomorrow. I have no idea how intense the sun is gonna be. I have no idea if there are gonna be clouds and I'm only at Heck, on a good day, they're 15%. I'm at 5% capacity. And so because of that, I always need a fossil fuel redundancy, and I will always need money to make up for the losses. And no matter how much wind and solar we build, the sun and the wind will never be forecastable. They'll never be quantifiable. And therefore, we can never have a, a stable business model. And, and this will go on forever. I, and people say, well, we just need more of it. But more times zero is still zero. Right, one wind turbine with no wind is zero. A million wind turbines with no wind is zero. And the Greens will try to convince you that it's a noble zero. Right, it's it is a virtuous because look at all the wind turbines, but it's still zero. And in that delta of zero, is human suffering. It is it is prices going through the roof. It is scarcity of goods. And who mm -hmm. who benefits from that? The extreme rich, the John Kerry's of the world could flip and care less 
if electricity prices are up 30% or if food prices. Did you see Halloween yesterday? Candy, they said, was up 27% from when Joe Biden took office. If you're making millions of dollars, what the hell do you care about? But if you make the average American salary of $48,000 a year and you want to buy candy for your trick-or-treaters, that's a lot of money. And, right. and the rich don't care about that because it doesn't affect them. Exactly. Because they're really, you know, there's been a lot of discussion this election cycle about how the American people are really so limited, which is the younger Americans, uh, middle of uh, the road Americans, the middle class. It's falling out, which it's always been, uh, you know, teetering on falling out. But it's really dropping off because. People are literally picking between um, food and they really don't have money to go out to eat anymore or, no. you know, uh, not being able to go on vacation anymore because they have to save that just for them to get to and from work. People are having to select cars that make sense in the way of what can they afford by looking at their overall budget. It's just gotten worse and worse and worse. So that leads me to the next part where I want to ask you about. Tell us about um, now Power of the Future. You filed a uh, Freedom of Information lawsuit against the state of New York and the Comptroller's Office uh, in the Supreme Court of New York, challenging uh, reactions and otherwise withholding of public records. And that specifically was geared at exposing climate activists as abusing public offices. So who are the groups and what's happening there? Yeah, we have several lawsuits going um, to get public records, but this one in particular is because the New York State Comptroller um, sits on a board uh, of, of a green front group. It's a fake group called Cirrus Foundation, which is, like I said, it's a it's a phony leftist funded uh, group that puts out climate hysteria all the time. Um, and And through a series of public record requests, we were able to see that, oh, wow, these this foundation, this fake front group is doing a lot of the comptroller's work for him. Um, he's they're writing op eds. Hey, you know, just put your name on this and we'll get it in The New York Times tomorrow. Um, the, these green groups who Lord knows who funds them are doing the work that the taxpayer funded comptroller of New York is supposed to do. And people would say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that the comptroller controls hundreds of billions of dollars, mostly in pension funds, mostly of the beloved first responders of New York, teachers, et cetera. And he's making decisions about how those should be invested. Imagine if you had invested in fossil fuels the last couple of years, what your pension would look like. But we're not allowed to do that. Why? Because this green group who controls me is telling me not to not. So you're defrauding pensioners. You're defrauding um, um, people who have put their trust in you, um, you have a fiduciary responsibility, and some group who no one knows is calling the shots. And that should really bother the people of New York. And that's just one of the several lawsuits to say, we need to get to the bottom of who's in charge of New York's pension fund, because clearly the comptroller is not. You know, as a major media outlet ourselves in, in focusing on energy, we get hundreds of press releases a week, Daniel. And I have to say that over the last five years, I have seen an increase in the nonprofits growing pertaining to anti-oil and gas sentiment. Mm -hmm. And years back, I had a few elected officials. One of them was uh, Commissioner David Porter, who is no longer in office. Uh, but he said, Kim, you know, if you follow the money 
of a lot of the money that's funding a lot of these nonprofit organizations. And I'm not calling out every nonprofit, I'm just saying some of them. Mm-hmm. You'll see that this is money coming from outside of the United States of countries yep. that it is in their best interest to shut down what's happening here. And so when you say these nonprofits are popping up and they're they're um infiltrating our elected officials and their work as well. It kind of reminds me of what's happening when we look at our universities too and how they're being infiltrated as well by outside money that's coming in and really changing how we're doing business in the United States uh, because we're so geared at taking money as opposed to having integrity and ethics. It's such a a great point. Yeah, such a great point. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Daniel Turner, who is the founder and executive director for Power the Future. Daniel, let's let's back up because before mm-hmm. the break, uh, I discussed how it appears as though outside uh, influence, money specifically, is coming in, and it's really changing the, the dynamics. If you look at it from a uni- all of our universities um, seem to be holding to foreign money. And it's made the the media a little bit, rather it's China or other countries coming in, sending students, and somehow or another they're getting access to uh, secret documents, spies are coming in. But it also appears through some of the stuff you're working on in your group that it's also seems to be infiltrating uh, Washington, D.C. and the halls of Congress with how these nonprofits that we have no idea where their funding is coming from is coming in and is changing uh, how we are looking at climate change and the climate change agenda. And I am I am an environmentalist. I care about what happens on the planet as we all should. But if it's disingenuous for the majority of it, if you can't verify where you got your funding from, why are why why are you in the halls of Congress changing policy? That that's not for these groups to be doing. It, it seems to me a reckless policy, and these elected officials seem to be pretty reckless too. So I want to go back to that and tell me a little bit about what else are you uncovering? Uh, what big groups? seem to have their fingers in the pie, if you will, when we talk about the halls of Congress. And what are you uncovering? Well, going back all the way to 2017, the House Committee on Science put out a report that showed that the majority of the anti-fracking, anti-oil and gas uh, uh, advertisement for the 2016 election was funded by Russia. And of course it does. It was because American fracking, American energy and gas excellence is bad for Russia. Um, so of course they funded it and they did it through through uh, um, these, these green groups. Um, in 2020, um, we were instrumental in getting the EPA and the Department of Justice to launch a joint investigation into some of these groups in particular saying that they are funded by foreign countries. Now, let me, let's me let be really clear. You are allowed to, as a nonprofit, take money from a foreign country. I assure you, Power of the Future does not. If you take money, though, from a foreign country, you have to disclose it. And it's the it's called FARA. It's the Foreign Agent Registration Act. You have to say, hey, look, I am the association of X, but I am funded by the country of Qatar. And that just has to be disclosed to Congress. We, we were showing that these groups do not disclose that they're funded from foreign countries because the the work that they do primarily benefits foreign countries. I'll give you one best example. National Resources Defense Council, who has been flagged before as being foreign funded. Gina McCarthy, after she left the Obama administration, was the head of the National Resources Defense Council. And then she went back in the Biden administration to be the the, the climate czar, right? An enormous 180 or so million dollar annual They always seem to find jobs that are great paying jobs. They always do. They always do. 
that the last COP climate, which by the way, COP 28 is coming up soon. I don't know yes, if you're going to be there. It's in Dubai. All the cool kids are going, Kim. <laughs> you know, John <laughs> Kerry's going to be there. If somebody but, wants to send a private plane for me, I'll be happy to attend and exactly. cover. Exactly. <laughs> at, at COP, the one in Scotland, I believe, um, there, were, there was an entire pavilion sponsored by the National Resources Defense Council about China about all the good that China does. National Resources Defense Council adores China. They talk all the time about how China's leading the way. China is the world's largest polluter, four times the America, um, America's pollution. Right. The, world, the world's largest uh, ocean polluter, ocean plastic, 90% of it comes from China. They have millions of slaves building wind and solar. And yet here's this enormous nonprofit based out of New York that has hundreds of millions of dollars in operating budget that all it does is brag about how great China is. And when you ask, do you get any money from China? They'll say, we can't talk about where our money comes from. They were once flagged by the Trump DOJ and, and EPA saying, this is a Chinese front group. And I am fairly confident they are. We should disclose that. We should find out why this group, and that's just one of, of many nonprofits that have enormous staffs, hundreds of lawyers on staff that sue you, your colleagues, your friends. All they do is sue oil and gas, and they're not even funded by Americans or ostensibly not funded by Americans. And, and that should be investigated. Right. Well, I want to also say one of the articles that um, was written by one of your, um, I guess, contributors, uh, Larry, is it Brigham? We've had him on. Larry the Barron's show. our comms director. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he he's flagging it in September and, and it's been coming to me because I'm a part of this group, but I'm kind of just watching to see what they're doing. And in and, and the article that came out in, um, I believe it was, it's an opinion piece in the Daily Caller. He was discussing how even, okay, we talked about nonprofits embedding themselves into uh, the halls of Congress. We've talked about these left-leaning universities that take money from outside our country, all, all of coming together for climate change, but it's really just shutting down and over-regulating the oil and gas industry, which when we do that, now we are in a place where we need to call it what it is. We're in a world of hurt. It's mm -hmm. a problem. It's a matter. Now we have turned ourselves into being, uh, well, well, what I believe it's a matter of national security at this point, Absolutely. because we're, we're in a lot of trouble. And now we yep. are looking at war on our home front. But there is something yep. that's happening in Colombia's journalism school. And for people who don't know about it, it's, they are now, you know, you get a lot of reporting coming out of urban uh, urban America, all the big cities, um, you know, the Washington Post, all of these large media outlets are covering it. But they finally decided to go after rule, which rule is like the backstop that keeps everybody from being insane and keeps our sanity. And this is exactly what this group is about, is how they are um, rebooting and reteaching journalists how to write on climate change and climate change agenda. And now they're taking it to rural America. And so we'll start seeing it out there as well. I wanted to get your opinion on that piece and, and what you think is happening in that area. Uh, they're calling for journalists from around the world to join their group to continue to help talk and write about climate change. But not, not a lot of it is built off of, I want to see if you're going to write on climate change, write on the scientific data. That's mm -hmm. all I want to see. I don't want to see what your opinion is or your beliefs. I want to see the scientific data and what scientists is backing it up and how, how do they come about gathering this data? That's how we should be looking at this, but somehow or another, that's not what's happening. So what are your thoughts on how bad this is getting now? We're also talking about media. Yeah. I mean, this is where the left is so incredibly crafty. And quite frankly, I'm envious sometimes of how good they are at this at this war because they are very crafty and they're very well funded. So yeah, if you're a journalist at a small newspaper in 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 name a state, a rural Oklahoma, 
and you don't make a lot of money, which they don't, how exciting is it that the uh, NYU School of Journalism invites you to an all expenses paid two week course or five to however long it is, food is covered, airfare is covered, lodging is covered to learn about climate change. Of course, you're going to take it. Right. It's a chance to do some chance to go to New York City. And, and what they're doing is they're building an army of, of climate uh, uh, journalists to to report on on this agenda to drive the fear hysteria. I'll give you two more examples along the same way. Associated Press for an eight million dollar contribution announced that they were going to dedicate more journalists uh, to cover climate change because they got an $8 million grant from, I believe it was Pew Charitable Trusts and other groups, um, for the sole purpose of hiring journalists to talk about climate change. So now every time you look at an AP story and you see climate change, you're like, oh, well, yeah, $8 million, yep. that'll buy you some That'll buy you some, some media. I asked the Associated Press if I gave them $8 million and $1, would they cover more stories about national security and, and human flourishing dependent on fossil fuels? Um, Associated Press never never got back to me, right? So there's another example. Third example, and this is something that we're going to try to take on soon, fingers crossed. Uh, there are a number of small media outlets that are completely funded by George Soros on the left, but they give themselves these names. You know, the Examiner, give me a small city in, in uh, the Taos Examiner. And you're like, oh, the Taos Examiner, I didn't know that. And you look at the byline and it says, covering Taos from a local perspective. You find out the whole thing is funded by George Soros. It's written by three people in a basement in New York City, and it's all propaganda. Daniel, thank you for joining us today on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And we look forward to having you back as a guest in the near future. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.